Upstate Medical University in Syracuse, New York, invites you to be the informed patient with the podcast that features experts from Central New York's only academic medical center. I'm your host, Amber Smith. Dr. Sherard Tatum has devoted his career to the reconstruction of children and adults with deformities of the face, head, and neck. He recently returned to Syracuse from a medical mission to Ukraine, which has been under attack by Russian forces since February 2022, and he agreed to tell about his trip. Dr. Tatum is a professor of otolaryngology and pediatrics and medical director of facial plastic and reconstructive surgery. Welcome back to The Informed Patient, Dr. Tatum. Thank you very much. Now, this trip was organized through the American Academy of Facial Plastic and Reconstructive Surgery. Is that right? That's correct. We have a uh, non-for-profit arm of, of the academy uh, called Face to Face, and it's been around for about 30 years. We uh, travel all over the world doing reconstructive surgery, uh, mostly for congenital work, uh, some trauma, and occasionally uh, war injuries. So like birth defects or like you say, war injuries or trauma, what other countries has the team traveled to? Well, it's not just one team. There are numerous teams and we've been all over Southeast Asia, um, Eastern Europe, uh, South America. There's a fair number of trips to go to Africa. Uh, Wherever there's a need, we try to get into India. Have previous trips been to countries in an active war? Yeah, it's been a while, uh, but uh, we were in Yugoslavia for that uh, conflict in the mid-90s. We were in El Salvador for a conflict in the early 90s. Now, before we get into the trip too much, I wanted to ask if you can give a short description of, of what the Academy is. Well, the Academy is basically a trade organization. It's the largest organization of uh, official plastic surgeons in the world, and uh, it like other trade organizations, it advocates for the membership and for uh, public health and, and well-being of the, the patient population. When did the idea of a mission trip to Ukraine take root? Well, once we realized that the war wasn't going to be quick and the casualties started mounting up uh, from our previous experience in war zones, we we knew what kind of civilian and military injuries there would be and that they would be needing uh, help. Uh, so we thought we would try to offer that. Was there an academy member from Ukraine or in Ukraine who helped organize the trip? There are uh, several Ukrainian-American people involved in the trip inside and outside of the academy. Logistically, how did the group decide on a nine-day mission split between two different hospitals? We typically try to have about five days of surgery. And there's usually a triage day in the beginning and unpacking and getting all the equipment ready. And particularly going into a war zone, you don't know exactly what the ground transportation is going to be like. So we uh, allowed a couple of days travel on either side of the the surgery days. Now, besides yourself and five other surgeons, there were 10 additional staff. What were their roles? There were several administrative people who were part of some of these other organizations like Rosam and uh, Heal the Children Northeast that helped us. 
and they were responsible for getting the paperwork done to get us approval with the uh, Ukrainian health ministry and uh, getting us across the borders and um, and just things like arranging hotels and, and meals. And then in the day-to-day uh, work, we had nurses and OR techs who were, would help us just like they would at home with uh, passing instruments and uh, organizing all the supplies we need in the middle of uh, cases and between cases. So the medical staff, were you all volunteering your time? Yes. But the academy arranged like the travel and the housing and stuff. So you did you weren't involved in that part of it. Well, the academy didn't do that because they don't have the connections in Ukraine. We we were actually working with um, agencies that uh, have presence in Ukraine to, to help sort of organize the on the ground uh, activities. Who arranged for medical supplies and and gear? Did you bring all of that that you needed from the U.S.? Yeah. I mean, they had some things, but we were doing some pretty sophisticated reconstruction. We had um, patient-specific custom titanium implants made by a company called Materialize to help us uh, reconstruct the the bone defects from, from the injuries. We had a lot of sutures from Johnson & Johnson. Uh, we had uh, headlights that were donated and um, a lot of uh, plating sets. Those are little titanium brackets and screws that are used to put bone back together. Those those came from uh, Synthes and from Stryker. Materialize is a Belgian rapid prototyping company, and they have a small medical arm and they they are masters at 3D printing. So they made all these implants for us. They donated them, and they were there waiting for us when we got there. We spent a couple of months reviewing CT scans for all the patients, and, and we went over them with the materialized people, and then they made these titanium replacements for the bone that was blown away by the projectiles. So that's how you knew what size implants. They were custom made for each patient. Yeah, they were 3D printed based on the CAT scans. Wow, very interesting. Yeah, it's pretty cool technology. This is Upstate's The Informed Patient Podcast. I'm your host, Amber Smith. I'm talking with Dr. Sherard Tatum. Dr. Tatum is a professor of otolaryngology and pediatrics, and he's the medical director of facial plastic and reconstructive surgery at Upstate. And he has recently returned from a medical mission to Ukraine. So, Dr. Tatum, I wanted to ask why you were willing, individually, yourself, to consider going into this war zone. Well, as you might imagine, I had to get permission from my wife, but she's <laughs> very supportive. Um, it's it's just been um, a, a regular, not necessarily war zones, but these mission trips have just been a regular part of my career since it began. It, it, it just feels right. And, and um, there are people that need help and we have the ability to help. We have a, a, a lot uh, here in this country and I think we can share a little bit. So you sort of have to put aside your fears or worries about personal safety? A little bit, but we, we researched this pretty carefully. The um, city we went to 
hadn't been hit by a, a missile strike since February. And we really didn't see any overt signs of war other than sandbags and those hedgehog anti-tank things. Did you know the other five surgeons before this trip? I knew uh, about three of them. Uh, there were a couple of, of people that were new to me. Most of the rest of the team was from New York City. They all knew each other. So how do you go about packing for a trip? What did you bring? We had uh, packed pretty light because we were carrying uh, bags of supplies with us, too. So um, you, you don't take a, a lot of, of uh, great clothes, uh, just some simple stuff to, to get back and forth from the hotel or the hospital every day. And everything else was uh, medical supplies. Well, I understand there were 34 patient consults and 31 of those patients required surgery. What can you tell us about the patients? Were they adults or children? They were um, almost all adults. I think we had one one child who had some facial burns that we uh, scars that we uh, did some work with, but uh, everybody else had uh, penetrating maxillofacial trauma. That means they were hit in the face with projectiles, uh, either bullets or shrapnel from explosions. I think about maybe two thirds were soldiers and one third were civilians, some, or maybe half and half, something like that. Are the injuries there? Is there any need to take care of them immediately after they occur? Or can they wait for months to have reconstruction done? Well, they have aid stations and military hospitals and whatnot near the front lines. So these people get patched up as best they can, but they don't have people with our expertise on the front line. These cases are, are not as important as when people come in with life-threatening injuries. So they just put Band-Aids on for these problems. And like one of the guys we took care of had his foot blown off. and. Um, you know, some somebody had to stop that bleeding and get him hooked up with a prosthesis and whatnot. So the stuff we're doing is not life-saving. It might be life-altering, but it's not life-saving. How did the hospitals in Ukraine compare with those in the U.S.? The hospitals are, are great. They, um, they have a lot of supplies. Sometimes they don't have uh, some of the fancier stuff that we bring. But the the anesthesia was was excellent. Uh, you know the support staff were very good. They had good intensive care units for some of the more complicated cases we did. Uh, so we were you know we were very happy with establishing a relationship with these people. Now these patients, what is recovery going to be like for them? You did the surgery, but then you're leaving the country. Do you hand them off to another physician that stays in Ukraine? Well, technology now really allows you to do so much. Uh, we we did uh, all of this work through the otolaryngology department at the hospital, and they would go around every day and, and take pictures of the patients if they had questions about how things looked or how things were healing. And we had numerous video conferences with them to go over how the patients were doing, and we helped troubleshoot a few complications. Uh, so, um, yeah, we were, we were almost right there with them, even though we were gone for several weeks. 
until all the patients were able to be discharged. That's amazing. Well, what impression did you have of the country of Ukraine? Well, it's a beautiful country. It is very similar to upstate New York. It's uh, rolling hills, very plush, cool, a lot of water, a lot of fields of various crops. And uh, and then the cities are, are, a lot of them are sort of old European style cities that uh, are beautiful. There's some walled cities and lots of old churches and that sort of thing. The people uh, were very impressive. They are incredibly warm and welcoming and their bravery was uh, a standout for me. The military people who were injured, their first question after we operated on them was, when can they get back to the to their comrades and fighting. They're very brave, and the civilian folks are just as brave. Does the news coverage that we see on TV in the U.S. resemble what you saw on the ground? I think so. The, the, the news coverage tends to show sort of the, the acutely damaged areas, and um, I guess what you see when you go there is that those areas are, are just piling up. You know, there's just more and more damage upon damage and more and more injuries piling up uh, and death. That part's pretty sad. So during your stay, where did you sleep and what did you eat? I mean, are are restaurants open? Are hotels open? Yeah, the city uh, we were in was pretty much business as usual. There was a curfew. They turn all the lights off uh, at 10 o'clock. Um, but yeah, the restaurants and, and the hotel were, were very nice and they were open for business. And while you were there, did you hear air raid sirens or shelling or? We did have sirens go off a few times. They, you know, in a hospital, people tend to ignore that because if you're operating, you don't just run out of the room and go into the basement. They had this system that would send an alarm over your, your cell phone. Uh, too, when they thought there was a threat. We saw a one plane fly over, uh, and we're not sure what that was, but there are no explosions. So just getting to Ukraine, you had to drive into Ukraine, right? Yeah, the, it's not safe to fly. We flew into Krakow, Poland, which is on the eastern border of Poland, the western border of Ukraine. And then we um, spent the night there and got in a bus the next day and uh, drove to Ivano-Frankivsk, which is the city we were in. And uh, that took about 12 or 14 hours. Now, the people, are the people there constantly on edge? No, I did not feel that. I was taking a picture one evening of, uh, I think it was the main administrative building for the city, and and a guard came over and asked me not to do that. And that was about the only only inter, uh, interaction I had with anybody military at all. Now, we've heard President Zelensky asking for more military aid. Do you think the country is in need of more medical aid as well? Yeah, they could certainly use more aid. We're, we're in the process of organizing several trips over the next few months to uh, different cities to try to uh, increase the the effort, the the aid effort that we're offering. Well, Dr. Tatum, thank you for making time to tell us about this. It's really interesting and and amazing. Well, sure, Amber, thank you. 
My guest has been Dr. Sherard Tatum. He's professor of pediatrics and otolaryngology and medical director of facial plastic and reconstructive surgery at Upstate. The Informed Patient is a podcast covering health, science, and medicine brought to you by Upstate Medical University in Syracuse, New York, and produced by Jim Howe. Find our archive of previous episodes at upstate.edu slash inform. This is your host, Amber Smith, thanking you for listening.